please make sure you stop by the table uh, now and get them checked in, and then make sure that you use that sticker to pick them up after service. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 again today. Uh, One more week after this, we'll be in Philippians chapter 4 again next week, just kind of wrapping up our um, series on being anxious for nothing based on the the book by Max Lucado and um, having trouble loading that. There we go. And so our huddles are going to continue through that. They've got two more weeks after this week for, um, to try to finish that book and work on it together. But we're going to do something a little bit different on November the 11th, and we're putting something together uh, for that service. And so you'll want to be here to be a part of that. Um, just a quick update. Uh, I did send out some messages, and we did post, we posted the video that we made for you last Sunday on our church uh, closed Facebook page. That's not a video we really wanted to make public. We were giving you that information, but we used uh, names in there that we just didn't want uh, without their permission to post online. So that's the reason it was on that closed group. We showed it last Sunday morning in the service. But uh, the hearing examiner did recommend our variance for approval. That means it goes before the city commission tomorrow night at their meeting. And uh, they actually make the final approval or um, decision on that. And so they'll do that tomorrow night. And then uh, we'll know going forward what we can do. Please continue to pray uh, for that through the day tomorrow. Pray for favor with uh, the city commission and also for the business owners downtown. Uh, many of them have been in, highly in favor of the, the idea of being down there. Uh, pray as we just continue to work on purchase agreements, uh, buyers and sellers, and work on the costs of the bids and all of that. I did speak to a church uh, that we believe would come and help us for a week. They'd send a missions team to help us do some remodel. And uh, I spoke with him this week, and in his words, he said, your timing couldn't be more perfect. And uh, I love hearing that. Um, he said, we just met with our missions director to make our 2019 schedule. And so just put a proposal together and uh, send that down to me. Let me know what we could do, how we could help, what kind of funding that you would need with that. And uh, we'll see what we can do and see if we can get you on your, your, the schedule. And so isn't God good? All right. Well, we've been in this series um, by Max Lucado talking about being calm. Uh, I don't know if you ever use that word in your home, calm. Hey, guys, let's, okay, everyone calm down, calm down. Because what happens? We, we're reacting to something, you know, kids are fighting or, you know, we're, something bad happened at work and our spouse is like, ah, and you're like, calm down, calm down. Um, let me explain. And Max kind of uses that word, great word for dealing with anxiety, to remind us of his four main points throughout the book. Celebrating God's goodness, asking God for help, leaving it with God or letting it go, and then meditating on good things. And so as we talked about rejoicing in the Lord or celebrating his goodness, we were just reminded God is near, he's active, he's fully engaged in our lives, he's in control, he's working for our good, he's for us, he's not against us. Uh, Pastor Mark talked to us about God being, uh, asking him for help, uh, understanding that because of the cross, you and I have choices. We do not have to respond to our anxiety the way that we want to. We don't have to respond the way we have in the past. We don't have to respond according to the flesh. We've been given power to overcome that. But he reminded us we're in a war and it's not an easy thing to overcome, but that God has given us the strength to overcome it. That's a great message. If you haven't heard it, you can go back and listen. Uh, Last week, we talked about letting go or leaving it with God. (coughs) Excuse me. And 
really this idea of thanksgiving and contentment. And when we learn to live in gratitude, when we learn to be thankful for what God has given us, Max reminded us that you and I have been given in our lives right now far more than we do not have. And we tend to focus on what we do not have, whether that's um, not just material possessions, but health, relationships, all of these things. If we begin to focus on what God has given us, we learn to walk in gratitude. We learn to walk in contentment. We will have the peace of God. And we're going to develop that a little bit more even today as we talk about perspective and focus. But last week, the key thing was learning to trust God when things don't line up. Okay, it's where, you know, here's what the truth of God's word is, but here's where my reality is, and uh, they don't match. And so what do we do? Well, God wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust that this is still true, even if our reality is right here at this moment. And uh, we're going to talk through all that and a whole lot more as we go to today. And today we're going to meditate on good things. So if you've got your Bible, Philippians 4, we're going to read the whole uh, set of verses again, Philippians 4, all the way down through verse 9. And then we're going to dig into verses 8 and 9 separately. But rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. I mean, you know, sometimes as parents, we say, I'm, do I have to repeat myself or how many times do I have to repeat myself because our kids don't hear it the first time? They're like, we heard you, but no, you didn't because you're not doing what I said, so you didn't hear me. I mean, am I the only parent that talks like this or can you all relate a little bit to me? I was sitting here thinking as we sing that song, I am a child of God. And I thought, you know, there are probably some people sitting in the room today saying, why do we keep singing that thing line over and over? I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Well, we're going to keep singing it until we actually start living like it once we walk out the door. Because how many of us, we sing in here and we're like, we don't have to keep singing that. And as soon as we walk out the first bit of bad information, we act like we're not children of God, like God is not for us. And so sometimes we repeat stuff because we haven't really heard it, even though we've heard it. So if that was you today, I apologize if I offended you by act, using that weird voice, but uh, I, yeah, I, I apologize. Um, let your gentleness, I probably should have read this verse first before I did the funny voice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. We don't have to let gentleness go. God is present. He is present when someone's in your face screaming at you. He's right there. You're like, well, why isn't he on their side telling them to stop? He's right there. And you can be gentle and you can let the soft answer turn away wrath. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends or surpasses all of our understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So the M today, as we finish calm, 
meditating on good things, and we're going to look specifically at verses 8 and 9. These verses, every time I hear them, I'm reminded, when I was in junior high, way back in the day, um, I remember at Keith Junior High School, our, our auditorium, the stage of the auditorium inscribed above the stage of our auditorium was Philippians 4.8. Whatever things are noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. And it was initially inscribed above the stage to remind us that those are the things that we should entertain ourselves with. Those are the things that we should meditate on. And I, I promise you as a junior hire, I mean, I maybe thought it was cool there was a Bible verse in my school, but um, I probably didn't take those verses to heart. But that's what I'm reminded of. And I know that some of us think we need to get back to the good old days where we inscribe stuff on the, the walls of our buildings. But here's the thing, that was inscribed on the walls of my school and it didn't affect my life at all. And so it's not whether or not we can legally as adults pray in school. Please stop saying God has been taken out of school. He has not been taken out of school because wherever his children are, he is present. And even if his children aren't there, he's present because he's everywhere. You can't take him out of anything. It's his creation. Okay? So don't believe the lie and don't act like it and respond like it. And don't fight so hard to get public prayer in places. Just pray. You're there. It's public. Pray. And God is present. And so we, we, try to, we try to fight to make things happen and instead of just walking in the victory that's already ours. And the enemy tries to do this. He tries to get us confused and think. But today we're talking about our thoughts and practicing thought management. You can pick what you think about. You pick what you think about. You, in essence, Max uses this illustration in the book, and I love it. You are the air traffic controller of your mental airport. All day long, there are thoughts circling your airport. Okay? They're coming, they're going, but if one of them lands, you have given it permission. Okay, you are not in control of the emotion that comes. You are not in control of the thought that comes. You are not in control of whether or not the feeling of anxiety happens, but you are in control of whether or not it sticks around. And we have to understand that and wrestle with it. The Proverbs reminds us that be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Your thoughts today run your life tomorrow. If you want to have a good day tomorrow, count your blessings today. You want to have a good day tomorrow, memorize some scripture, sing some praise, spend time encouraging others, and you'll have a better day tomorrow. You will influence how you live tomorrow, how you feel tomorrow, by what you think today. On the other hand, if you want to be miserable tomorrow, I mean, after all, it's Monday. Everybody hates Mondays. Why? God is just as present on Monday as he is on Sunday. Why should we hate Monday? I know, we got to go to work. But you know what? Your work is your mission field. That's your destiny. And the enemy tries to rob you of your destiny by making you anxious, by making you uh, angry, by making you frustrated. 
And he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He has not come just to steal, kill, and destroy your salvation. This isn't just about us individually. It's not about whether or not he can keep us from getting to heaven. If he can use anxiety and worry and fear and guilt to keep us out of heaven. No, it's about sidetracking and stealing your destiny. And how many people you're going to take with you. You are destined to affect change in the lives of the people you work with, the people you live with, the people that are in your family. You didn't pick them. You were born there. You didn't get any say over mom or dad or brothers or sisters or aunts or uncles or cousins. But if you think it's an accident you were born into that family, you need to sing the song again, I am a child of God. And he's in control of what family I'm in. By the way, if your family frustrates you, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but more often than not, what you don't like about them in some way is in your own life. <laughs> you just don't see it. But anyway, that's beside the point, because we all tend to act like our families. And uh, I know I'm even thinking, oh, that can't be true, but it, it is. But So if you want to be miserable tomorrow, here's what you need to do. Just start wallowing in the mental mud of self-pity. Start being wallowing in guilt. Assume the worst of every situation you encounter today. Beat yourself up for how terrible you've done this week. Complain to everybody you see. And I guarantee you, tomorrow morning, you're just going to feel like garbage on Monday. But you don't want that, so we're not going to do that. We are going to recognize that our thoughts have consequences, and if we want healing from anxiety long-term in our lives, then our thoughts have to be healthy. We have to change the way we think because our perspective, listen to this, our perspective in our lives is drawn from our previous experiences in life. Okay, our perspective is drawn from our previous experience in life. How I see this situation right here is drawn out of how I've experienced something in the, in the past. Does that make sense? But my current experience is actually defined by my perspective. In other words, the challenge isn't what I'm looking at. The challenge is how I'm looking at it. That's kind of a vicious cycle that we find ourselves in, isn't it? There's a, a quote by Heath Adamson that says just this. Um, no, I'm sorry. That's, we don't want to go to, to Heath yet. But um, yeah, so perspective right here has got to change. But in order for my perspective to change, I have to remember that just because I've experienced something in the past doesn't mean... How I'm looking at this right now is going to stay the same. You've got to break that cycle. Somewhere along the way, we've got to break the cycle of how we think. If you think that, oh, yep, here comes so-and-so, and I know what happens every time I talk to so-and-so, guess what's going to happen? You've already set it up. You've already set it up. Or if you wake up feeling a certain way, or if you go into a situation and, you, you know, every, I mean, it's a cycle, and the only way to break that cycle is through the power of the cross and changing our thinking. Now, I'm not telling you that changing your thinking is like a pill that you can take where you feel better all of a sudden. Okay, how many of you know that natural remedies take longer than prescription remedies? 
Those of you that are into like healthy living and essential oils and eating right and diet, they'll tell you when you go in up front, you're not going to feel better right away. This is a long-term thing, and you got to be in it the long term. If you got a headache and you want it fixed like that, take some Tylenol, okay? But if you want healing, if you want long-term healing, okay, changing how you think is not going to happen overnight, you know, if you're dealing with anxiety, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish you could just come to the altar, I could lay hands on you and pray, and anxiety would be gone forever. That ain't how it works. I mean, for some of us, it took 40 to 50 to 60 years of unhealthy thinking to get us here, and it might take a little while to, to learn to walk out of that. And that's why we've said all along, there's nothing wrong with, with using medication to help us in that process because sometimes winning the battle actually is easier when you feel better. You understand what I'm saying? And so when you're dealing with anxiety, there's no guilt or shame attached to medication, okay? But that medication isn't your long-term answer. That's just a Band-Aid, okay? And we want freedom, as I told you, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. He wants to over-exaggerate. He wants to overstate. He wants to use inflated thoughts to get you into a place of hopelessness. Nobody is ever going to like me. No one's ever going to care about me. It's all over for me. Everyone is against me. I'll never get out of debt. I'll never have real friends. I'll never lose weight. I'll never be free of this. This is just my life. I just have to find a way to cope with it. This is how it's always going to be. Those are not true statements because no life is irredeemable. No life is beyond hope. No fate has been sealed. No one is unloved or unlovable. And if you continue to believe the lies that the enemy allows to float into your head, you're going to continue to be in that cycle of anxiety. And so Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, fix your thoughts. That word to fix your thoughts is a deliberate action and choice. It's a word that means to ponder, to reason, to calculate, to consider. Literally, you've got to reason with yourself. You, a thought comes into your mind, and you just have to begin to reason with yourself that that thought is a lie, and this is what is true. You've got to fix your thought on what is true. And he gives us a whole list of stuff that we think of. So if it doesn't pass the test, get it out. That's not true. That thought isn't pure. That thought isn't right. That thought isn't excellent. Oh, here comes so-and-so. You know, I'm just... That's not pure. Get it out. And there's no way your relationship with that person is ever going to change if that's the thought that you allow to land on your runway. I mean, I know some of you are looking at me today like, this is either too good to be true or impossible to actually live out in real life. I mean, it, it, it is I know it is, because it goes against everything that's natural to our flesh, but it wouldn't be in the scripture if it wasn't possible. Think about what is truth, what is real, what is worthy of respect, what is righteous, what is without defect, what is pleasing, what is lovely, what's agreeable. These are just different words that different translators use for Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Things that are admirable or worthy of praise or excellent, that, that stuff which is outstanding goodness, worthy of praise. Anything that's not on this list should not be landing on our runway. Nothing. 
If you're going to sit and rehash, I, I love that God brought us here already today, but if you're going to rehash what somebody did to you or how you were mistreated at that last job or what went wrong in your life or how you didn't get a fair shake, if you're going to sit and rehash all that stuff, you're going to battle anxiety. You've got to cut that off and recognize that stuff should not be landing there. And so it's a dead-end path. Paul says it a different way in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now, I'm not talking about, you don't, you know, sometimes we go to a counselor or we go to someone for help and we rehash a situation in, the, in order to get free from it. In order to gain fresh perspective in it, helping someone mentor us or, or give us Christ's perspective so that we can get out of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the rehashing where you call someone on the phone and you just badmouth what so-and-so did to you or how you were mistreated at work because you're looking for sympathy or you're looking to try to feel justified or that's a dead end. That is a dead end pathway. It may make you feel better. It may even get you to have someone admit they were wrong to you. It may produce momentary relief in your life, but it will not bring long-term solutions. It won't. That's not the way that Paul tells us to set our minds. If we're constantly setting our minds on our worries, our fears, our pressures, anxiety is going to be the natural byproduct of that. And so it's a choice. It's a choice to start setting our hearts on what we are going to think about. But the second part of Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, the thing about the, these two verses is in Greek they're one sentence. And if you look, you notice there's a couple periods up there. And this is the difficulty with translators trying to make sense of one. But this is one complete thought from the Apostle Paul. And so he tells us what to think about. And then he tells us to keep putting into practice everything that we have learned from him. Now, what we've received from him means not just what we've learned with, as he's spoken to us, but what we've received Basically, I hate to use this word, but it's really what it means, through tradition. Through tradition. Tradition is not evil. Tradition is evil when we make tradition truth. You can learn truth from tradition, but the tradition is not the truth. So in other words, if we practice communion, that's a tradition that we do. Unfortunately, in our church, we don't do it well. That's my fault. But we need to practice it more because it's in the Bible. And so I will. You just keep reminding me and I'll keep doing it. So you, <laughs> we have someone in our church that always reminds me, hey, we haven't taken communion in a while. And that helps, by the way, because then I remember you're right. Um, but the tradition isn't taking the communion. It's remembering what we get from communion. It's remembering the truth. So you, whatever you have learned from the preaching, the teaching that Paul gave, whatever you've learned from the traditions, whatever you've heard about me, someone comes up and says, hey, man, I was with, with Paul the other day, and man, he cast this demon out, and look what he did. And you learned something by the testimony of someone else. That's what he's saying, if you learned it in that way. Or anything you just saw me do. You just looked and saw me do something. Whatever you've learned in any way from his life, put it into practice. And he doesn't just say put it into practice. He says keep putting it into practice. But things don't line up. Keep 
putting it into practice. No matter how long it takes to get your reality to line up with what is true, keep putting it into practice. Keep setting your mind where it needs to be set. Keep putting into practice what you've heard, what you've seen, what you've been taught. Keep doing it. The funny thing about this verse, the one we read at the beginning started with the word finally, but this is the New Living Translation, so it's a little different. But in the NIV, Paul starts this word with finally. Now, either Paul is not a good, or Paul is either a good preacher that says in conclusion and then goes on for like 25 more minutes, or that's not, finally doesn't mean the end of his letter. And I don't believe finally means the end of his letter. Most translators don't either. It's the ending of the thought that actually started in verse 1. And we haven't read verses 1, 2, or 3 yet, but all that we've learned in Philippians 4, 4 through 9 actually kind of refers back to verse 1. So let's just take a moment and go back up to verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you who I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. Okay, he wants us to stand firm in the Lord. So Philippians 4 through 9, this is how we stand firm. Okay, but then look at this. I plead with Yoda and with Sineshe to be of the same mind in the Lord. I ask you, my true companion, Help these women, since they have been contending at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. How many of you have a hard time believing that there were two people in the church that weren't getting along? It's not too much of a stretch, is it? And Paul says, help them get along. It's interesting that he doesn't tell us who's right. I mean, after all, if there's two people that aren't getting along, somebody's got to be right and someone's got to be wrong, right? Or not. He says, help them come to a place of agreement and walk together in the Lord. He doesn't say they have to think the same. He doesn't even have to say they have to agree on whatever it is they're disagreeing about. And then he goes into Philippians 4 through 9. So our relationships in the body of Christ Sometimes our problem, our problem is not the problem, it's our perception of the problem. Everything we've been talking about now in Philippians 4 through 9 almost comes full circle back to our relationships in the body of Christ. See, Jesus says in John chapter 17... When he prays for us, he's not just now praying for his disciples, verse 20, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they would be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. Here's the thing. You know, there's disagreements in the church world and there are people that talk about how bad things are in their church outside the walls of their church. Can I just tell you, the enemy's okay with that because he's stealing the destiny of your life. He's stealing the destiny of the church. He's stealing destinies. And he's okay with that. And what I find generally in the church world is we'll talk to everyone else except the person that we need to talk to about what's going on. 
And somehow Paul has heard about these two women. Now that's pretty good without Facebook and telephones and all of the stuff. Paul has somehow from prison in Rome heard about this disagreement of these two women in Philippi. And all he says is, come on, guys. Come on. I think a younger Paul would have handled this differently. But a Paul who's in prison ready to die, it just doesn't matter, ladies, is almost what he's saying. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. Whatever it is that you're disagreeing about, it just doesn't matter. That's what he says. Just come together. You've worked, you both worked right alongside of me. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying, finally. Our thoughts are creating perceptions in our lives. And the way we view other people sometimes isn't really how God views them. It's our perception of them. And we need to start getting his perception of them. The crazy thing is, is when we look at these two verses, this is not a quick fix. This is something that's hard. This is something that's it literally, as Mark called it, a war. But it's a winnable war. But for you and I, that call to peace, that list of requirements that's up there, as I have already alluded to, it's like, who can possibly really live up to that? I mean, can you even, if I asked you right now to write down the, the eight virtues that are found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, without looking at your Bible or without looking at the screen, would you be able to even list all eight of them anymore? I mean, some of you might be able to. I don't know if I could. And so what, what I'm trying to get to is it's not about living a perfect life. They see, there, there's a simpler way. And Max, as he, as he concludes his books, brings us back to this idea that this is not so much about having a list of guidelines to follow as it is about being connected to Christ, learning to abide in him. How, do, how does that go together? Well, Christ is true. Christ is honorable. Christ is right. He is pure. He is lovely. He is admirable. He is excellent. And he is worthy of praise. And if you spend more time in your life just trying to stay connected to him as you go throughout your day, you will find that you don't have to memorize Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and know every one of those words. You just have to begin to stay connected to him. This is exactly what we've been talking about from John chapter 15, where Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me. This repetition is not by mistake. He is talking about our, what we need to do. Our number one priority. If, if people asked, hey, what would you, if you had to boil down Christianity to one thing, would you say it is to abide in Christ? It is literally to every waking moment, just be connected with him. Is that really what you and I would boil it down to? And if not, what we're doing is, is futile. Because it, without it, we can do nothing. Without that constant connection to him, we will not remember who we are. Without that constant connection with him, we will not remember how to respond. Without that constant connection with him, 
Yes, prayer is important. Yes, the time in the word is important. Yes, memorization is important. Yes, coming to worship service and being with others is important. Yes, all these things are important, but none of them will get us where we want to go. It's only our connection with him that gets us where we want to go. He is the vine. We are the branches. We've got to find a way to be connected with him. I want to go back to Heath Wetzler now. I won't put this quote up on the screen. He says this, our final destination on this journey is not beyond, it is within. This is impossible to understand. What if the most important things in life are not intended to be understood? What if they're simply supposed to be embraced? To do so requires trust in a God who sees, knows, and often does not tell us. And that's okay. It's not about understanding why there's a gap. It's about trusting the God who's with you when there is a gap. You're connected to him. And often people ask the question, well, but why did this happen? And why didn't it happen this way? And why? And the God of peace will be with you. Not peace from God will be with you. God is not in, he does not want to just have you come to a prayer line today and deposit peace into your life. He wants to be the peace in your life. He wants to be with you when things don't line up. He wants to be with you when people are in your face screaming at you. He wants to be with you when the doctor gives you a report that you didn't want to get. He wants to be your peace to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. See, so many of us are longing to bear fruit. Oh, I just wish I could bear fruit. I wish I could hit my destiny. And the way to do it is not to try harder. It's to connect tighter. It really is. This, this thing of identity is so crucial because so many of us, Mark really hammered this in his message, and I, I pray if you haven't heard it, you go back and listen. We feel like God is distant because our performance has been bad. We haven't measured up. We haven't lived Christ-like. Here's the thing. If salvation depends on him from start to finish, then my performance no longer determines how God views me. And that doesn't set me free to live however I want to live but it sets me free from guilt and shame and condemnation. Because you and I, here's the thing, when we feel ashamed of our performance, the one place we need to go is before him and confess, and the one place we won't go when we feel ashamed is to him. Look at the garden. When God came, they hid. Because sin for the first time separated them from God. And they needed to hide, <laughs> You and I no longer need to hide because of the cross. We sing about the power of the cross so much, but we have no idea what we're even singing and what that thing has done for us and the freedom it gives you to live out your life free from fear and worry and anxiety because no one can separate you from him. No one. You don't have to get even. You don't have to have anyone say, that person wronged you. You deserved better than that. You don't need that. 
That may never come in this life. What you need is to be connected to him. As Christians, we tend to miss this. It's no secret that we keep coming back to what Jeff Dio taught us as he was here on September 16th, that it really does all boil down to intimacy with the Father. It really does. (laughs) It begins in our thoughts. Keep putting this into practice. Stay connected to the Father. Stay connected to Him. Fight the feeling of distance that's there. One of the most profound things that I got out of Mark's teaching a few weeks ago um, was when he started talking about, I don't feel sorry enough for my sin. Remember that? He's like, well, it's, I can't produce godly sorrow. He, he produces markly sorrow. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> it was so dumb, but it was so true. I mean, I can't make myself sorry for what I've done wrong. And sometimes other people will try to make you feel sorry for what you've done wrong. Now, I'm going to line up with God's word, and if I did something wrong, I'm going to own it. I'm going to admit it. I'm going to confess it. But if I don't feel sorrow over it, I'm not going to try to produce sorrow in guilt and shame, and I'm not going to wallow in self-pity. I'm going to keep moving. Because not just my destiny is at stake, but the destiny of others. And every single day of our life matters. Every day matters. And I know you go to work every day and you think you see the same people every day and you think you see, but can I tell you, every day matters. You don't know what word that you speak at work to a coworker, to someone that you're waiting on. You do not know what hangs in the balance in that one moment. And the enemy wants you to go to work feeling depressed, feeling anxious, feeling like you're not good enough, feeling like, you, who, who do you think you are? God's not going to flow through you today. You know how many Sunday mornings I sit in this room over the last 20 years and thought, God, I can't preach today. I've barely prayed this week. I've barely done anything this week. I've messed up this week. I've yelled at people this week. I've done things I shouldn't have done this week. As if! Anything that happens in this room depends on what I've done all week long. That's the lie that the enemy tries to keep us in bondage with. Because if he can keep you from fulfilling the destiny that God has for you, he can keep you from affecting the destiny of someone else. And that's literally what anxiety steals from us. I mean that and our sanity (laughs) as one who suffers from anxiety. There's freedom. There's hope. And it starts with controlling the thoughts that land into our minds. You and I have got to battle that. We've got to fight that. You've got to find someone that will fight it with you. Find someone that will hold you accountable and say, help me to fight this battle. You have been given everything you need for life and godliness. If you are in this room today, let me say it again. The scripture says... You have been given, past tense done, everything you need for life and godliness. You have an arsenal of weapons at your disposal. And here's the thing. Some of those weapons are fleshly weapons. Outbursts of anger, isolation, cold shoulder. I love that Mark got a little too transparent 
about his relationship and then kind of felt awkward for a moment because he's like, what am I saying out loud right now? Is my wife going to yell at me later? But, hey, I'm going to give them the cold shoulder. And, you know, they're going to talk to me that way. I'm going to ignore them. You can use that. And here's the thing. For, for the time being, the fleshly weapons that we have at our disposal, they do make us feel good for a moment. You yell at someone, you give them a piece of your mind. <laughs> yeah, that felt good to get that off my chest. But all you've done is strengthen evil. Because if you use weapons of the flesh to fight weapons of the flesh, you strengthen evil forces. Contrary to those weapons, the Bible says we've been given supernatural weapons. The soft answer turns away wrath. Well, I tried that once and it didn't work. It didn't say every single time and it didn't say instantly. Just like your essential oils and eating healthy, uh, this version sometimes takes a little longer. But these weapons, the Bible says these weapons over here, the supernatural ones, are stronger than these weapons. Because these guys over here, they demolish strongholds. They, t they break cycles. They tear down high places in spiritual realms so that the victory of Christ can be more present in our lives. One of the greatest testimonies I, I've ever heard about healing was from Pastor Jeff Mann. He was in Latin America, and he, he's like, there was this altar time, and uh, they called us all forward to pray for people, and he's like, I was feeling nothing. But he's like, I know that it doesn't depend on my feelings, so I'm just going to pray for people and whatever happens. And he's like, there were, there were legit healings. Like healings, you could visibly see the healing that were taking place. I was praying for people, and I was stunned. I'm like, I don't even feel anything. But you got to understand, if you read the history of the revival that they're experiencing in Argentina, they had to fight for that thing. They had to pray, they had to fast, they had to tear down high places. And now things can happen without feeling. And you and I think we got to wait to get goosebumps before we can pray for the sick to be healed. And sometimes the reason that the sick aren't healed is there's some high places that have to be torn down because when we start asking for answers, those answers start getting delayed because there's a battle going on in heavenly places. This is in the Bible, by the way. You should read it. And we've got to tear down those high places. And while we're giving somebody a piece of our mind, all we're doing is strengthening the high places. But if we start living by what Paul says in Philippians 4 through 9, consistently, over and over again, over and over again, over and over again, the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds and keeps us from pushing the wrong button on the submarine. Amen. I want you to stand with me. And we're going to close our service this morning. And I want, you to, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your heads. And I want to pray over you. And then I want to give you a, a moment to respond. But Father, I just want to thank you again for the way that you have opened for us. God, this is so hard for us to remember because it's so easy. Every one of us in this room, God, even if we haven't grown up in church, we, we bow our heads and we're in your throne room and we really just take it for granted. We take for granted how easy we can just come before you because of what Christ has done for us. We don't have to come before you worried that 
uh, we're not going to make it out of the room. That our lives literally hang in the balance, hoping that our good deeds have outweighed our bad deeds. That his sacrifice for us has been so sufficient that we can just come boldly before your throne, not in arrogance, but with boldness because of the identity that we have from what he's done. God, we can receive grace and we can receive mercy. God, I know that there are many in this room. This battle with anxiety is so real. And the enemy's desire is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But your desire, you have come that we would have life and have it to the full. You said you've given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of you. So God, I pray specifically for those today that are just in that place where what should be and what is seems so distant. God, today I'm tempted to pray for you to just close that gap. But God, that's not the destination. We need to learn to be content in every circumstance and to know peace of God even when those distances seem so great so God I just ask today that you'd reveal yourself as good father that you'd reveal yourself to those that that battle anxiety even right now in a fresh way in a new way God that you just wrap tangible arms of love around them. Overwhelm them with your goodness, with your love, with your presence. And that the roots of your love would go down so deep into the soil of their hearts today that they would be able to stand firm every day this week. God, even in those moments when the distance between what should be and what is grows bigger. That their identity, that their power, that their strength, and that their hope comes from you. I want to invite the prayer team to come and join me here in the front. As we dismiss this service today, if you want prayer, you want someone just to agree with you, we're going to be here and we want the opportunity to pray with you. Maybe you just want to come and kneel at this altar. Maybe you just want to take a moment and just ask God to just wrap that tangible presence around you today. We want to give you opportunity for that too. So even as I close this service in prayer, if you want to come, if you want to respond, I want to encourage you to do that. 
Don't leave this place before you give him just a moment to settle all of these things in your heart. So Father, I pray your blessing over this congregation today. Father, would you bless them? Would you keep them? Would you cause your face to shine on them? Would you lift up your countenance upon them? Would you be gracious to them? And would you give them peace? I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to be dismissed, do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to receive prayer or want to spend time in prayer. And when it's time for you to go, just dismiss yourselves quietly. God bless you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.